I'm Henry Lin, and welcome to Better World. Better Worlds is an exploration of badass people doing really cool things. The more we know about this world, the better we can do in changing it. Flooding and pollution are really the two main issues that surround stormwater. If you're able to provide augmented infrastructure or retrofit design to upgrade our sidewalks in our cities, we believe this provides that connecting piece to reducing the overall volume of water that gets into the piping underneath our cities uh, while keeping the toxins away from that water and connecting it back into the aquifer as a freshwater asset. Today, we've got Greg and Kevin. They're coming to us potentially from a construction site. We just don't know. But they are talking with us about an interesting topic that we've discussed in prior episodes, particularly with Carbon Cure Technologies several months ago. Um, concrete and how absolutely unbearably unsustainable our built world is. Buildings generate nearly 40% of annual global greenhouse gas emissions, and the world's building stock is expected to double by 2060. So basically, that's probably 500 million plus tons of CO2 emissions annually by 2030. That's a lot of emissions. With us today are the fellas from Aquapore. Guys, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Can you tell us a little bit about the concrete problem and what you guys are doing to make it better? Because as I recall from your very handy Instagram account, you guys also not only have a concrete solution, but filter groundwater. Well, there's some layers to that question. So I think the issue today is that the cement industry, and we talk about cement, it's um, basically the material that goes into concrete to make it hard and to make it a finished product. Um, that industry on its own is responsible for something like 8% of global CO2 emissions every single year. There's somewhere around 110 million tons of cement that is produced every single year. That's such a big number. It's a huge number. 8%. Of, and like you're literally talking about one freaking product. It's like saying Beanie Babies consists 8% of our CO2 emissions. It's wild. It's one thing. It, it, it is one thing. It's the second most consumed material in the world behind potable water, basically. And so a lot of it's produced uh, over a billion tons of concrete is poured every single year. And so it has a use, right? This material has a use, but the way that it's made is completely unsustainable. Ugh. So guys, what's the solution here that you developed? And can you tell me a little bit about how you arrived at it? Sure. So what we're really focused on, now concrete's one issue. The other issue is, you know, paved surfaces. And a lot of that can be concrete or it can be asphalt. And we don't even think of, of it because it's so ubiquitous in our cities. But that material is impervious. And so when it rains, you have rainfall that falls on it and it becomes stormwater runoff immediately. And the way nature intended, when it rains, you want to get water back into the ground to recharge groundwater, get back into the natural hydrologic cycle. And so Kevin and I saw this huge need that cities had and developers had to be able to manage stormwater on site. We always thought that the best way to do that was with uh, a material that you could walk on, drive on, park on, you know, a pavement-like material that would allow stormwater to go through it. And so 
that's when we started developing a new type of permeable concrete. Right. So this permeable concrete, can you can you take me through what that means first? Can we just define the product for our listeners? Yeah, you know, um, permeable pavement, traditional permeable pavement, we'll call it, uh, porous asphalt, porous concrete, and interlocking systems, they do a tremendous job of infiltrating stormwater runoff and reconnecting it back to the aquifer when it's initially installed. But over time, the issue really presents when sediment, you know, the dirt, debris, humans are naturally dirty people. We're filthy uh, animals. We're filthy Filth. animals. We're filthy animals, especially at the curb line. And so all of this, uh, the toxins and debris that we create in our cities, they'll infiltrate into that material. So the aha moment for us, for Greg and I in Aquaport, was to say, can we tighten that pore size which will prevent that sediment from infiltrating into the system itself while being able to be maintained at the surface. Because as Greg alluded to, you know, the, the um, impermeable aspect of our cities needs to be resolved. Uh, and we believe the opportunity zone from a maintenance perspective is right at the surface. Right. So what is the nature of the product? Are, are we talking about something that you guys sell directly to builders? Is it sold in Home Depot? Can you, can you sketch out for us how the product interacts with the built world? Absolutely. So, and that's a great question. And this kind of points to what our business model is going to be. We don't want to just be a vendor of a new building material. And so the way we're approaching this is as a project company, the product can be any any type of precast material. So think of a sidewalk panel, for example. So it could be permeable sidewalks. It could be a small paver that goes into you know, a parking lot or an alleyway, for example. And at some point, yes, I think you know, this will be something for the do-it-yourself you know, homeowner's market, the residential market, where you can go and get um, Aquapore's you know, permeable pavers at Home Depot or Lowe's. But typically, we're not going to be the ones that manufacture any of that. So we're setting this up to be kind of a licensing arm so that your existing precast or paver manufacturers can use our technology, make their product, and it will just have, you know, Aquapore's technology inside. Got it. So it's, it's very much a licensing play. So what do you guys feel you have solved with this product? Can you tell me a little bit about how much better it does for the water table, how much better it does on on carbon. Sure, Kevin, you want to take a stab at that? Yeah, I'll let you take the carbon piece, but I'll um, address the the solution to the problem. Uh, flooding and pollution are really the two main issues that surround stormwater. Um, Greg, you know, there's a, a threefold problem really being experienced in cities, which is one, aging infrastructure two, that impermeable aspect, and then three, climate change, which is actually dropping more rain faster in the west, while the east and, and down south are experiencing just much more uh, rain and overall annual volume. And so if you're able to provide uh, augmented infrastructure or retrofit design to upgrade our sidewalks in our cities, we believe this provides that connecting piece to reducing the overall volume of water that gets into the piping underneath our cities uh, while keeping the toxins away from that water and, and 
connecting it back into uh, the aquifer as a freshwater asset. Right. Okay. And, and so the biggest impact for you guys is um, is clean water, ostensibly. Yeah, it definitely is. And and the other thing is, so you know, Kevin alluded to there have been pr- uh, previous you know, technologies and permeable paving. And he, he was nice about how he talked about them and said they do a great job initially. <laughs> the reality is, from my perspective, they're very crappy technologies. And that's not to denigrate them, uh, even though I just denigrated them. But the reality is, these things have not been advanced for decades. And so what our technology is, is a whole different chemical, sort of catalytic concrete approach to getting a strong material that has submicron porosity so the pores are extremely small they filter out dirt debris um, and sediment so it doesn't smaller than a micron you'd say yeah i would say but well between one and five microns probably and some smaller we don't have a great sort of it, it ranges basically we did some internal tests where you take a very fine silica powder and you run it you know, in water and try to get the effluent. And the effluent count of what came through showed us that over 80% of that material was filtered at the surface. And so that's certainly something we're excited about. But the other piece of it is, and I want to get to the kind of the carbon piece, is how this material is produced. And so it is a catalytic concrete. In other words, we don't use any Portland cement in the mix. And so a lot of people don't know this, but there's something like 1,800 pounds per ton of cement uh, is actually CO2. Okay, so 1,800 pounds per ton of, of cement is CO2 emissions that go off into the atmosphere. And so for us, uh, it's zero. Now we need to go through and, and do life cycle analysis and the whole thing to prove that we are net zero. We have a path to doing that. I guess in the end, what it comes down to is we don't need cement plants at all. Like there's no Portland cement that goes into our mix. And so this is something we're really eager to prove out here over the next couple months. But um, we always thought, you know, it doesn't make much sense if you're going to say, hey, we can solve the stormwater issue over here. But with this material, the way it's made, we're, we're causing this other issue over here with CO2 right. emissions. Right. So net-net, you guys have a solution which is holistic and sustainable across that spectrum. Now, can you explain to me how, in a little bit greater detail, how you're really tackling CO2? Yeah, um, I guess it really comes down to just the materials that we use. So our cement, and really we don't even call it a cement. It's a, it's a mix of aggregates, industrial minerals, and what we call a catalyst. And so all of this material already goes into other industries. And so it's sitting there. It's sitting there waiting for us to pick it up and take it to a precast plant and make our permeable concrete. And so, yes, there's energy with you know the freight and being able to move it from point A to point B. But what we know is we're not mining limestone putting it in a kiln at 2,700 degrees, blowing off CO2 into the atmosphere to get clinker, and then taking that clinker and putting it back into an energy-intensive grinder to get cement. Like There's none of that in our process. And so the way we're tackling carbon is really just, I mean, with this sort of chemical technology approach. 
So this is awesome, guys. I, I think one of the things that I'm most interested in is around CO2 drawdown. And, uh, you know, we had Carbon Cure on who basically injects um, captured CO2 back into concrete uh, as a mineral, effectively. Uh, and it seems like there's so much of, and, and you touched on it, you were like, look, there's a shipping portion to it. There's, there's a lot of places in which you're creating or, and or releasing carbon dioxide that, you know, you need to address. So I'm, I'm super interested in what you guys think the solutions look like at scale. Do you believe that it's impact and, and, and drawdown uh, driven by, you know, some of these companies and producers? Like it just gets to a point where there are things that you have to do. And so the only other way that you're going to make them clean is by utilizing other drawdown solutions. Like how does this get to the point where it becomes the perfect solution in your mind? That's a great question. Um, I think it's a little bit of everything. And so I look at like what Carbon Cure is doing and I love it. I think it, it's going to take a holistic approach. What we're doing is obviously very different. I think the technology is very different. So I, I think in the end, at first it might be incremental. Okay. So for structural concrete, maybe they still need Portland cement, but now they have a method of being able to, to capture that CO2 and re-inject it and cure concrete um, with that. I think that's a huge step in the right direction. I think at scale, what in my mind would be incredible is just um, having no need or no necessity for cement plants. And that means, you know, you're going to have to tap into other you know, resources, other natural resources and other, as we call them, kind of industrial minerals. But th these technologies are advancing to the point where that may be possible. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Kevin, do you have anything to add there? I, I don't know if that actually answered the question. Yeah. For uh, in terms of how we establish at scale, you know, 3% of the world's water is the fresh water. And that's all that the world will ever have. And, you know, if you look at what's happening, especially down in Southern California, where droughts bringing water shortages uh, and they're having to ration the amount of uh, water usage, these realities are really right in front of us. And so we like to see stormwater as the gateway to the opportunity to expand our uh, carbon reduced cement. You know, if we're able to address the stormwater problem, that we can push the other uh, innovation within Aquapor as we move forward. That's a really, really interesting and insightful, guys. What do you feel are your most pressing challenges to growth currently? Another great question. Um, these are very, very difficult technical challenges to solve, for one. And so we've been at this for some time now, and we've gone at a very steady pace because R&D has been at times gut-wrenching. Um, I mean, in the end, you're developing a whole new approach to something that's gonna go into an industry that's very well established. You have all the big players and it's just taken a lot of grit really just to even get to this point. And so big challenges always have to do with, I think, being able to finance, you know, the next milestone. And I think for any startup, you know, you go through these, ebbs and flows. And, and every time you go out to raise more capital, you have to be cognizant of how you're raising it. Because if you really believe in what you have, you don't want to dilute the company to nothing, right? And so just 
you know, being thoughtful about how we go out and raise money. And then I think the other piece of it is getting all of the machinery in place. And what I mean by that is, you know, what goes into this concrete now, they're new, you know, materials that have never gone into concrete. And so, but, but yet we're getting the supply from big established players. And so convincing them that, that, Hey, this is a new vertical, huge market opportunity and getting them to kind of bite off on our dream or our vision um, and getting those pieces into place has been, uh, you know, it's been challenging. And now we're finally to that point where that's all lined up and it's super exciting. But then the, the last piece of it is knowing that we're going into, again, this, you know, huge kind of slow path dependent industry and being really thoughtful and smart about how we go to market. So a number of different things, but starting, you know, a, a startup that's heavy civil construction oriented and, you know, infrastructure, physical infrastructure oriented, it's been a challenge. Yeah, I got to imagine. Um, what are some of the challenges that you guys have had previously um, with respect to fundraising? The reason that I ask is I'm interested to know whether or not uh, the venture community really sees the value in built materials or if a lot of your challenge lies there. Another really good question. You, you have good questions, Henry. The answer to that would be... Thanks, fellas. I do it for a living. Yeah. The answer to that would be uh, we've intentionally, uh, as we've gone through you know these R&D phases, stayed away from venture capital on purpose because we, we kind of knew that you know when you, you take on venture capital, they have certain parameters and you know growth metrics that they want to see. And I, I'm speaking, you know, talking broad brush spectrum here. And so we've intentionally stayed away from that and we've used sort of industry strategic type investment along with crowdfunding, which has served us really well in these early stages. But I will say that I've had some conversations very recently with some large funds and one of which is actually like a semi-famous investor who has a fund. And what I'll tell you is the really good investors, they're very interested in something like this and, and they see. And what you get is, I think your, your average VC, well, I don't know the best way to put this. I think the growth trajectory of something like this might not be quick enough for your average VC. Some of these more prudent climate tech venture funds, they certainly get it. And we're just now starting to have those conversations. Okay. So what about the newer uh, companies in the space that you think are pioneers who are also helping drive your adoption and your mission? So like, who, who are we, you know, sort of synergistic with that, um, that is working towards this end? I keep an eye on like Solidia. I think that's a cool company. They're doing some cool things. They're on kind of the carbon cure side of things on concrete. Um, Brimstone's another one. Um, I think they have like a pozzolanic concrete technology, which I think is cool. Cul-de-sac is an interesting company that they're not on the concrete side or physical material side, but actually community, like self-sustaining community building. It's almost like a real estate play. And I believe they uh, just raised a Series A from Lennar. The home building company has a venture arm. And so that was really exciting to see. Gosh, who else? Kevin, do you have any off the top of your head? 
from the green infrastructure space, there hasn't been a lot of innovation since it was really adopted in the early 90s. So, And by infrastructure, you mean like materials, building materials specifically? Yeah, when I say green infrastructure, green infrastructure is essentially the um, uh, innovation that's drawn behind keeping raindrops on properties instead of uh, establishing runoff to, say, a municipality. And ever since the early 90s, those are bioswales, you know, the big dips in grass that you see between parking lots, uh, bioswales, there's also retention ponds. Uh, cisterns, but a lot of this has not been reinvented, uh, as Greg said, for decades now. So uh, from the physical infrastructure standpoint, we're a bit more unique than the market. So where do you think the market goes? You know, I, I'm still interested in what your lens for the future is before we get down to the nitty gritty of what we think um, our individual listener can do. But like, what, what does the future look like to you guys? The future to me, I'll take a stab at it and then Kevin, you you go ahead. Um, the future to me is like neighborhood green infrastructure where everything is sort of decentralized to the neighborhood. So you're going to manage all your stormwater uh, right on site, right where it falls, permeable sidewalks, portions of the street are permeable. You get all the water back into the ground naturally, but you're also going to have, and this is kind of my aquapore vision, right, is spanning solar not on rooftop not rooftop solar but spanning solar that actually can be placed um, in certain portions of the neighborhood to actually have self-sustaining energy and then within that whole kind of neighborhood design being able to uh, thread broadband through the sidewalk without digging up streets without going all the way through and having sort of this decentralized super high speed 5g broadband scenario and just having a more self-sustaining, you know, infrastructure network right at the neighborhood level would be my uh, my vision. And yeah, something like that. And I don't know if you've heard of Telosa, what Mark Lore is trying to do with his. No. You, got, you should check it out. It's way, way far out there. And he's been bashed like on Twitter and people like, yeah, just another billionaire, you know, with these wild hair up the ass ideas but actually you know i look at it and I'm what like, is telosa it is basically like a i don't know he he calls it a is this a city yes a desert city yeah. utopia and it's basically just a whole self-sustaining city built from scratch you know smart city clean water Everything's decentralized, decentralized energy, all electric neighborhoods. And the thing is, what's crazy is he wants to do it, the first city out in the middle of the desert. I mean, goes to Burning Man once, huh? Yeah. (laughs) No. All right. Exactly. (laughs) Guys, before this conversation steers into my favorite topic of psychotropics and hallucinogens, um, why don't we talk specifically to what the individual listener can do to help change their behavior. So is this a question of lobby at the government level? Um, Is it tell your local friendly construction guy to use a better material? What are some of the things that uh, our listeners can do? I think uh, from my personal opinion, we're entering a decade of building. So when I say infrastructure, to me, it presents an opportunity for communities across the nation 
to redefine how their community functions. Infrastructure is the baseline principle of how we operate as human beings. And so with that opportunity uh, comes rethinking how we would want to function in our daily lives. And so uh, changing our thoroughfare structure, changing how our vehicles operate, rethinking that aspect of our lives is a critical component. So the action items are talk to your local elected officials, see what the plan is for your community. And if you see ways that um, can increase changes to provide more usability for like uh, electric vehicles, if you want more walkability, now is the time to engage uh, and activate new solutions. And, you know, given that municipalities generally are not innovative uh, by nature, the narrative needs to be pushed by the community. So my biggest suggestion would be engage, 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 and uh, go find those new ideas. Just get out there, huh? Run them down. Gentlemen, uh, thank you very much for the feedback. Thank you very much for the insight. I would also encourage our guests to take a look at the Aquapore website. And uh, if you guys are still doing uh, your, your fundraising, take a look at that as well. A-Q-U-I-P-O-R.com. Thank you guys very, very much for coming on and uh, sharing your insights for the future and, uh, you know, bashing the people who fell short, you know, just because we had to, right? Yeah, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> Don't apologize, right? We have to hold higher standards. It's what it's all about. That's right. We're moving actually forward. in the process of building one. Oh, yeah. We, we, are, we are moving forward. Better World is in the process of developing some new standards. Uh, more on that in later episodes. Stay tuned. Um, but for now, um, I'm Henry Lynn with Better World. Max Moynian will be joining us again. Please don't miss her as much as I do. It's unseemly. Um, but she's the bedrock. She's the concrete uh, of our podcast. She will be back shortly on our next episode. Gentlemen, thank you so very much for coming again. Thank you, Henry. That was fun. Thanks, Henry. Henry Lynn, join us again for our next episode of Better World. <laughs>